Hello and welcome to Bright Wings, children's books to make the heart soar. I am your host, Charity Hill. The purpose of this conversation is to help mothers and fathers identify books that will liberate their children to embrace truth, goodness, and beauty. We're talking about our favorite winter books, some old favorites, and some newly published treasures. I'm talking today with my friend, Amanda Knapp. Amanda, it's so great to have you back on Bright Wings. We had a great conversation for episode 23 on Christmas picture books and back over a year ago when we talked about great illustrations and why they matter. You're one of my favorite people to talk about children's books with, especially especially all books with. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome back to Bright Wings, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Likewise, you're my favorite person to talk to <laughs> about books with. We we had a really fun time talking about Christmas picture books, but you shared with me that as you were looking through your Christmas picture books, you realized that so many of your books weren't Christmas books, but they were actually winter books. My husband was in the room and I was going through the books trying to find Christmas books for the podcast. And I kind of stopped And I'm like, do we talk about winter books or Christmas books? Or should I keep the winter books out, even though it's Christmas? Or should I just keep the Christmas books out? And he looked at me like I had two heads, like who puts that much thought into which books are out and which are in. And, you know, I'm the one who puts that much thought into it. (laughs) But let's think about this. Winter books are definitely different from Christmas books. Totally. They are. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Totally different purpose. You know, they're totally different purpose. I realized I like the feeling of the winter books and that's why I like the message of Christmas books better, but I like the feeling winter books give me better in general. Yeah. Huga. Huga. <laughs> yes. Um, Huga, the Danish word for coziness. Yeah. It's like some kind yeah. of word for this concept, right? Of coziness. You said that you yeah. chose it a, some years ago as your word of the year. Huga. It's spelled H-Y-G-G-E, right? Yeah, but it's you pronounce it Huga. And I did. I chose it as the word of the year because I wanted to focus on our home so much. Was, I think it was when my kids were just starting sports and, you know, our lives were starting to expand. And I wanted to purposefully create atmosphere in our home of coziness. I think in our home, we kind of take coziness to an extreme. <laughs> There's blankets everywhere. We're always knitting. There's yarn everywhere. Don't have a fireplace. That's my one regret in life is that we do not own a fireplace for the hookah. <laughs> well, that's just such a beautiful concept. It's somehow unsurprising that it comes out of uh, a nation and a culture that has to deal with so much wintry weather for so many months of the year. Denmark. And this is so great because reading books together really is a way to create the sense of contentment and restfulness and connection in the midst of winter and chill. Hugo includes things like blankets and candles and tea, things that are tactile, textures, textiles. Um, so I think it's just this concept of that cold is juxtaposed with cozy. And juxtaposing cold and cozy help enhance the awesomeness of each one. Enhances like the delights of both the cold and coziness. My kids really get this. (laughs) Well, who wants to be, you know, nobody thinks about cozy when it's 90 degrees outside, you know, even though temperature controlled, at least our house, it's pretty much the same temperature year round. 
but you only think of the coziness when you see the snow outside. Absolutely. One of my regrets this winter is that every time it's been snowing, we've had places to go. We haven't been able to huddle in and just read books and be warm and have coffee. But I think there's also a smell to it. I think you think of candles and the smell of coffee or tea. It's definitely touch, but I think there's also the the smell. Nice. That makes sense. Neat. Yeah. I think yeah. of a warm mug in my hands if I can't yes. have a fire, right? Yes. <laughs> Yes, my daughter and I went to the library yesterday to read books by their fire, by the fireplace there. Because At the library? Yes, yeah. Neat. And it's not quite as comfy because you can't bring blankets and wear pajamas. I mean, I guess we could. We'd look a little weird. <laughs> it was still nice to read in front of the fire. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Tell me about Jan Brett. She seems to yes. live in this concept of huga. She does. And she's Scandinavian, right? At least her drawings all look very Scandinavian up where it's, oh, this is Ukrainian. Oh, the folktale is Ukrainian. But I'm looking at the mitten where one of the first things that drew me to the mitten was the grandmother's knitting it by hand, which I like doing, sitting by a fire. Throughout her book, she draws the knitted fabrics into the books. My five-year-old and I were reading Annie and the Wild Animals this morning. And the first page just looks like a big knitted tapestry, I guess you would call it. And I said that she drew it and my five-year-old wouldn't believe me. She said, no, she knitted it and took a picture. <laughs> but as soon as you see that, the textile, it get, you know, it's that cozy feeling. There's snow outside, the harsh weather, the cold, but inside this cozy little house, there's hand-knitted goods. That's what I like most about Jan Brad is she makes me happy to be inside curled up with my children reading these books. Yes. She makes you grateful for the experience while you're experiencing it. You know, she reminds you. Kind Gives of you of, that awareness. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. And yeah. We have a lot. We have Jan Brad Christmas books, but then, you know, today I was getting out the winter books, the mitten and Annie and the Wild Animals. When I was in grad school, I used to hate it when I would be reading a book about someone falling asleep because all I would want to do was go to sleep and I'm reading the story about someone doing what I want to do and it would make me jealous. But Jan Brett does the opposite. You are cozy and snuggled up while you're reading her books. So the awareness. Yeah, you're really confirmed. (laughs) Now you mentioned, explain to me, Winter Days in the Big Woods. Okay, Little House on the Prairie, I'm slowly realizing the reason I'm obsessed with those, I say obsessed, I think that's legitimate, (laughs) is because Laura's whole experience of her life that she presents to us is one of her whole family happy, cozy, safe in these houses. Winter Days does exactly this. She uses the word cozy, modern day heat or refrigeration. You know, they don't have any of the modern day conveniences we have, but she says how cozy it was in the attic with Mary playing with the pumpkins and the corn that they had saved up to eat over the winter. It's obviously her childhood memories, but I think she presents this idea of childhood that I want to be able to give to my own children. I want to back up just the tiniest bit seasonally to introduce you to a book called Sleep Tight Farm by Eugenie Doyle. So on Sleep Tight Farm, it's all about this family. I think it's a mother, father, and two children. And it's all about how they get their farm ready for winter. And I really enjoy it because it's it has beautiful uh, kind of restful illustrations with a lot of color. 
really good details that help a child to understand exactly what work is being done. You can see the work they're talking about, but it's not a technical manual, right? It's not a user's manual. And the illustrations are really warm and friendly and they're working together. Sometimes the kids are participating in the work. They're closing out the year's work with their plants and their animals and preparing to rest their fields and to kind of rest their animals through the winter. It's just great because it helps you think about what does a family do to get ready for winter? What does a farm do to prepare for winter? Um, helps us recognize it and helps us to enjoy that that the year is seasonal, that life is seasonal, and um, helps children to understand what these different tasks would be. It kind of makes me, because I'm a wannabe homesteader, I'm a, I'm a wannabe farmer myself, it helps, helps me feel like, maybe I need this, maybe I need to own this book so that I can know what I should be doing. <laughs> and the book has something really sweet and cheerful. So after each task, the child says, good night or goodbye to to you know the raspberry patch or the strawberry beds. Good night for the winter to this to the fields. It's charming and and their preparations for the winter give me this feeling of family unity and the sense of contentment that I want for my own family. So Sleep Tight Farm by Eugenie Doyle is all about getting ready for winter, prepared for winter. The next book, I've been I've been thinking about this other book I really love, which is like the next step. So the, the second one Probably lots of you are familiar with it. this book. If you don't know it yet, it's wonderful to become acquainted with. It's called Over and Under the Snow by Kate Messner. A girl and her father are out skiing. The, together, they observe and they learn. And he tells her about what's happening under the snow, right under their feet where they're skiing. So Messner really kind of makes it linguistically interesting. So the text is a little longer. She uses words like glide or morsels, feasts. And then she names all these animals that don't always get their own book, you know? So she names voles and deer mice and great horned owl, snowshoe hare, you know? So she, she kind of draws us into things that are a little bit more complicated and even obscure, showing us that we don't yet know everything and inviting us into knowing more. Her book gives you this sense of you don't know everything and you can't, in fact, see everything. So let me show you. Let's look. And Mester does this by this very simple over and under. So what's happening above the snow and what's happening under the snow. And uh, it's kind of slightly poetic. She asks questions that draw you into the secret lives of the animals. And then the illustrations are kind of a vintage modern uh, style with the cutaways. So the book, the illustrations are kind of a cutaway of the snow. So you see a little bit of what's happening above and then you see the lives of the animals under the snow, which I really like. One quote is, a chipmunk wakes for a meal, bedroom, kitchen, hallway, his house, under my feet. <laughs> that one reminds me of The Big Snow by Berta and Elmer Hayter. It's a long book. It actually, you know, for a picture book, it takes quite a bit of time to read. But my the Big Snow's a classic, isn't it? It was published it is. quite some time ago. I think it was, I was just looking it up. I think it's 1946. 1948, it was published. Yeah, it won the Caldecott that year. What I'm impressed by is how much it keeps my children's attention, even though it is long. And I definitely think older books require more of kids than newer books do. But it starts with a, I think it's a snowshoe 
or it's a cottontail rabbit and some geese, all the animals that shows what they do to prepare for winter. Some of them head south, other ones, you know, create burrows under the ground. Talks about, you know, some are able to find food above ground. It just as I was saying that to birds flew across my window. (laughs) And a lot of it talks about the birds and them being able to find food during the winter. You see the chipmunk with all the seeds. In his cheek? Stored in his cheek. Yeah. And the (laughs) illustrations, some of them are black and white, some of them are color, uh, but they're all really beautiful. And they're detailed enough that my daughter likes going through and picking which snowflakes are her favorite. She thinks it's funny. The mice are dancing on top of the snow. She, She thinks they're cute. And then at the very end, there is a big snowstorm and you see the an old man and an old woman shoveling their walk and the woman gives food for all the animals. So then eventually all the animals that stay there are on their front porch eating the seeds and whatever else she gives to them. So it just it's an interesting story because it teaches them how different animals prepare for winter. And I think it helps them come to realize that while we can stay in a house, other, you know, all these other animals have to figure out a way to survive or leave, you know, during the harshest times of the year. It does it in just an interesting, beautiful way. The illustrations are beautiful. The language is beautiful. I got that one used last year. I never even heard of it. And it's become one of our favorite ones. Gosh, that's neat. That's neat. I remember Ah, oh, actually, before we moved to Texas, when we were still living in Illinois, when I still live near you, it was a bitterly cold winter and a little gray brown bird. I don't even know what kind it is. It was not a chickadee. It was not a sparrow had bumped into our sliding glass window. And I went out with the children. I went out and I, and I took hold of it thinking that it needed to be buried, that it had broken its neck, hitting the window. And we, but it was alive. And so we brought it in briefly to warm it up, let it have some water and and a, and a warmed up towel. We warmed up a towel in the microwave, but we couldn't keep it inside too long. We call, I called my mom, of course, mom, (laughs) what do I do? do do? (laughs) And she told me not to keep it inside too long because just enough to let it revive because to keep it inside, to, to give it too much comfort would actually kind of deacclimate it to the cold and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be doing the little bird any favors. So we let it warm up until it was awake and until it looked like it had a drink and then we let it go. But it's so nice to be able to do what she does in the big snow and put out a little extra when the animals find it harder to find food in the, those really cold months. Yeah, because we're told these days, right, not to give them food during fall, you know, make sure they leave if they're supposed to leave. I guess during when that was my thought, you know, reading this old time book, like, is that wise to give them food? (laughs) But I think, you know, I would think once winter comes and they're here. Making it a little easier. Yeah, Um, which actually brings me back to Annie and the wild animals. The concept of that story is that her cat leaves all of a sudden and she gets lonely. So she makes corn cakes and places them out and she wants another animal to come and be her friend. But a bear comes, a moose comes, a wild cat, I think it was, all these animals that clearly could not be her friend. (laughs) And eventually the snow melts, her cat comes back with kittens. For an adult reading it, I was like, okay, the cat's going to go have kittens. But my five-year-old was completely surprised when this happened. She had no idea that these kittens would come back. But again, it's about feeding animals. And there it's looking for a friend and it's from a child's perspective. But that's a pretty short story. And I guess it's kind of like The Mitten by Jan Brett, where there all the animals come 
and hide inside the mitten until one of them sneezes and they all go flying. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess she has, you know, it's a couple of stories about bringing all these diverse animals together in a way that would never happen in real life, clearly, but that kids find amusing. Um, <laughs> What's one of your next favorites? Trying to decide which one. Um, I have Stopping by the Woods on a Snowy Evening, which is the poem by Robert Frost, illustrated by Susan Jeffers. Oh, I love it. Yes. Um, One of my favorite things I think about illustrated poems, and we've seen just my kids and I have read quite a few of them in the last year, is that it makes the words and the ideas more tangible for children. I don't know if a child would normally read that poem and get much of anything out of it. But when they see the illustrations, it's just one interpretation of the poem, but it teaches them that poems mean something. Tell us about these illustrations, Amanda. There's a man in a horse-drawn carriage. It's a sleigh, a horse-drawn sleigh. So there's snow everywhere. This is horrible weather by most, you know, the last page you just see the whole page is filled with snowflakes and he's out in the cold being drawn by this horse. Then he gets out of the sleigh and he starts making snow angels at his friend's house. He delights in the snow. He has places to go. So he gets back in and at the end he sees his family and you see him embracing them. But throughout the book with the snow, everything is black and white. Um, The trees, everything is black and white, except the man. Here and there, there are splashes of color, right? Because the landscape is black and white with snow and then like the outlines of trees. Yes. And and it's even his horse and the the sleigh are black and white, but then the seat he's sitting on and the blankets are in color. So uh, it basically yeah. seems like maybe things he he directly touches. When he gets to his family, his family is in color. Just visually, it's really beautiful the way that's done. But again, I find myself reading this book, jealous of this man out in maybe a blizzard in a horse-drawn sleigh with, you know, only blankets to keep him warm thinking, wow, he looks so cozy. Really, he's probably freezing and miserable. Yet I see this book and it makes me want to go outside and be a part of it. (laughs) Be a part of it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, tell us about another classic, The Snowy Day, right? The Snowy Day by Ezra Jack Keats. This is a book that there's been a few books where, you know, you hear about them there, you know, everyone knows about them. Then I read them like, huh, you know, it's not an instant love, I guess. And yet, you know, now 10 years later, after reading it the first time, I just love the book. I love the simplicity of it. I love that the boy, the boy, it snows and he goes outside and he makes tracks in the snow with his feet facing different directions. Then he pulls a stick he sees some older kids having a snowball fight and he realizes he's too young for that and eventually he has to go in. So he puts a snowball in his pocket to save it. You know, he comes in, his mom gets him out of his winter clothes. He takes a bath and then he realizes his snowball is gone because it melted. Um, it doesn't say that explicitly, but clearly that's what happens. And then I think the next day, yeah, he wakes up the next day and sees it snows again. And it's a it's just a very simple book with simple illustrations. And yet it's one of my favorite books to read to my kids. Not my oldest kids, but, you know, my slightly older kids really like it. It just talks about the fun of snow. I remember doing the things that the boy in the book does. Like I remember 
turning my feet and walking in different directions, toes out, toes in. I remember taking a stick and wondering if the people who'd be coming behind me and looking at my tracks could figure out what I was doing or where I was walking or taking a stick and poking holes in the snow and and wondering, are people going to know that I poked holes in the snow with a stick or will they think it was like a tail or, you know, I don't know, making patterns in the snow and wondering if people would be able to track me like the boy in the book. <laughs> the sweet way his mother welcomes him back and helps him out of his clothes and cares for him. I really, I remember that when I was little, mm-hmm. that tenderness. I think you could make the case that it's who got, you know, he comes in from the cold and his mother is taking care of him and he takes the warm bath. (laughs) Yeah. And then he gets into the comfortable bed and it's the contrast there between being out in the snow and having fun, but then also the comfort of after the snow and then waking up and getting to do it all over again. Yes. Just the joy of waking up at all and seeing snow outside. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a really fun book I want to tell you. I want to tell my listeners about. Amanda, you might need to cover your ears. Amanda, my friends, does not like mice in a serious, maybe kind of phobic way. Amanda does not like mice, my dear Bright Wings listeners. And so I hesitate to mention this book, sort of, <laughs> but um, I want to share it with you. It's really cute. My sister in law. Uh, introduced me to this story called Mice Stating by Annie Silvestro. My sister-in-law and I both love tiny things, miniature things. So perhaps that's why we like this book. The illustrations give you the impression that you're looking at teeny tiny things. I love that. The story Mice Skating concerns a mouse named Lucy and her love for winter. She lives with some other mice in the roots of a tree down in the ground. And she loves the cold and she loves being outside. Most mice like to hunker down and hide away under the ground. But Lucy loves winter. It makes her brave. It made her bold. It made her bloom. Lucy loved winter. Her friends did not. And so the story is about Lucy convincing her friends to come outside and experience the magic of winter with her. And it talks about all the different ways Lucy tries to get to get her friends to come outside, all the different ruses she uses to help them love what she loves. And the illustrations are charming and pretty detailed. Um, There's a reoccurring joke. One of the characters, one of the mice characters loves cheese, of course, and is always making cheese related comments (laughs) along the way. So there's kind of like one of those cute running jokes going on too. Just a fun book, just a sweet book. Mice Skating by Annie Silvestro. I had one last book to talk about, and it's, I think I say every book is my favorite, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is my favorite of the ones I'm talking about right now. It's Snow by, I think it's Yuri Shulevitz. Yuri and, Shulevitz, he wrote The Treasure. Okay, I haven't heard of that one. It's really beautiful. We've got it on the um, Family Spirituality and Fiction book list. So this one by Yuri Shulevitz is called Snow. Yes, it's called Snow. It's very simple. The words are pretty sparse. It starts out with a boy who's excited, you know, it's going to snow. And a man walks by and says, it's not going to snow. His grandfather says, it's not going to snow. A woman walks by and says, it's not going to snow. And the boy, you know, is excited for the snow he sees. And you can see, you know, one or two little snowflakes per illustration. And then they even have the TV and the radio saying it's not supposed to snow. But sure enough, it snows. You know, the boy's really excited. And then there's a picture of a bookstore. It's called Mother Goose Book. And during the snow, 
I think it's like a moon and it's Mother Goose and Humpty Dumpty come off of the building. You know, they were just pictures and they come and they dance around and they play in the snow. It's just magical and it's funny because the illustrations are really funny. The people are a little like caricatures, so they're pretty funny to look at. And then eventually the characters go back on the building and it ends with, Paige says, snow, said the boy. It's a short, fun, quirky book about snow. It looks like it was set in Russia. Yeah, it's different. My kids like it and I love it. It's great. Somewhat sparse illustrations. Funny, but not ostentatious. Mm -hmm. Just subtle. Subtle. Yeah. I don't know if I should even mention this, but the English teacher in me keeps reading it because it will say, snow says boy, no so says man. And there's never the word the, they never use the article. And then the last sentence is snow said the boy. So I don't know how many dozens of times I've read this and I still haven't figured out why the author did that, but I'm convinced the author I wonder did. if the last, the, 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 the article on the last sentence is intentional or I wonder if it's intentional. I tend to think it has to be just because in the other pages, it seems so intentional that it's not out there. And Do you think it represents kind of categories like more universal mm-hmm. statements like children want wonder, they want okay. delight, they want snow, and adults, the man, not the man, but man, man says, yeah. no, uh-huh. no. No, (laughs) I should have asked you earlier. (laughs) I think that could be my guess was also whether or not it was how much it was about fantasy versus reality. But I think your idea might be a little bit more the children's hopes for snow are being tampered by all of these authorities. And at the end, this individual boy gets this experience. And that's what matters. Nice. Because snow is for kids. You know, I love snow. I know a lot of people who love snow, but really snow, it's children who really and truly delight in the snow. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have to drive in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't, it doesn't represent itself as duty to children for the most part. Correct. <laughs> I think snow for kids just represents joy. Just the enjoyment of being alive. There's something so gratuitous and exciting about it. No duty, just existence as play. Well, next, Amanda, I want to share with you a book by a Canadian author and illustrator team. It's called Singing Away the Dark. The author is Caroline Woodward from British Columbia. And when she's not writing books or in between writing books, she's a lighthouse keeper. And the illustrator is Julie Morstad, and she's from Vancouver. And as somebody who spent three years in Canada... I love that this pair of Canadians wrote a book about uh, singing away the dark. Canadians just really understand snow a little bit like uh, Sweden or Denmark. They understand snow and there's a culture of enjoying winter and going out and participating in winter and ha- you, everybody has the right gear for it. Uh, and you just go out into it. It's kind of part of what it means to be Canadian. <laughs> it, it's, it's a marvelous thing and it really distinguishes Canadians. So um, anyway, I, I really enjoyed that the author and illustrator were both Canadians. So Singing Away the Dark is, it's in, in a certain sense, sparsely illustrated so that you can pay attention to the details that are included. And it opens with a mother helping her child 
like a, a mother and child and the child is getting ready to go to school. It opens and closes with the same refrain. So it says, when I was six and walked a mile and sang the dark away. So it's a story about a girl who has to walk to, to meet her bus. She has to walk through the snow um, in the early mornings when it's still dark and it stays dark in Canada longer than because of their latitude than other places and how she has to walk through the dark and the cold, how she sings to make herself brave. She's alone and she acts bravely. She doesn't stop. She's afraid of the cattle in the field and the bull. They're so big. And, but she sings. She sings for the sun. She sings for strength and for warm toes. And the school bus, when she spots it, is so welcome. And then it ends with, um, when I was six and walked a mile and sang the dark away. I want that book. <laughs> yeah, it's simple. Like it would be a good book for any child, probably between two or three and seven or eight. Like it's, it's simple enough to have a depth to it. You know, like it's, it's simple without being simplistic. It's a reflective book for a reflective season. Yeah. I mean, what better season for people who like reading than one where you have to stay inside a lot of the time. Mm-hmm, exactly. And on that note, just wanted to let you know that we're linking a wonderful winter books book list in the show notes. We'll be adding more books to the book list for this podcast episode than just the ones that we talked about. But we definitely wanted to feature these books that Amanda and I have picked out as some of our favorites. I hope our book list and conversation have helped you find some new books or remembered some old classics. I hope you check it out. I really appreciate it when you buy books through my links. Well, thank you, Amanda, for joining me. This was really fun to have this chat with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's always fun. <laughs>